Good morning and welcome to Better Thyself segment of Dr. Lamba's Awakening Call. Making a decision is always difficult. It's like typical Hamlet's problem. To be or not to be, that's changed to to do or not to do. What shall happen if I take A decision? What are the options? What about option A, B, C, D and so on? How shall it affect me? How shall it affect my social group? How shall it affect my family, community, nation, whatever? So how to take a decision is one of the most difficult decisions to take. And now, before we take a decision, let's not deny that taking a decision depends on the data. It's a source, a raw material for modern capitalism, a vital ingredient for making good decisions. At least that's what we are led to believe. And so how can it be that the, suppose there are two organizations, and I'll take a typical example of the COVID. Two organizations were given the exact same data but arrived at completely different conclusions. The answer would be framing the data. And framing is a powerful cognitive tool for making decisions. And most of the decision makers forget this framing aspect. Now, as I said, look at Ebola in West Africa in 2014. When Ebola virus broke out, experts were called into study in Sanche. The two main organizations, World Health Organization and Medicine Sans Frontiers, an international aid expert. Both organizations, as I said, had the same data. WHO predicted a limited outbreak. And MSF saw epidemic of a magnitude never seen before. WHO won the argument, but MSF's alarmist view came into effect. The result was what MSF said. So how was it that these two organizations, well known, same information, same goal, same expertise, reached a diametrically opposed conclusion? And how could one of them extrapolate so widely from sporadic data but point and still be right? And the answer is, it is not superior technology, not better intuition, but more of the selected mental model. Now, what are the mental models? Mental models are frames, are representation of reality that makes the world uh, comprehensible. They allow us to see patterns, make sense out of nonsense. Circumstances that we encounter are placed in a proper order. And we always make mental models, but we ignore them. And it's not we can choose one frame is better than the other, no. In the end, most crucial step in the decision making is, 
how you size up the situation and how you frame it. When Bangladesh war was to be fought, the mental models were prepared and we saw that we have to be prepared against US intervention because Nixon had a pathological hatred for Manila. So we signed a joint defense treaty. And even then, General Manning Shah was told that he had mentally prepared to fight the last ditch battle in the forest of Sundarbans. So leaders who consistently make good decisions are aware of framing, are aware of the mental model they use, but the people who fail to see the situation through the right lens put their organization in great peril. This is what happened with the German automakers such as Daimler, BMW, Volkswagen. They held on to the model, the mental model of a gas-powered motor. And by the time they realized the mistake, Tesla had gone way ahead in his electric cars. You can't keep on waiting. And what happens is that the mental models let you imagine things, especially where very scarce data is available. They help us fill in the blanks, extrapolate beyond the reality that is seen to the others. They give you an ability to run counter factuals that imagine what could have been, what has been and what could be. This what could have been is the most important thing and that's why I always say that the people who lack counterfactual thinking, great entrepreneurs are leveraging this counterfactual thinking. I had a discussion with Ratan, at one time Ratan Tata, and he told me that before making a decision and the data, which doesn't even exist, I go by the only thing if this is not there, what would be the result? And they say, they put that in the counterfactual position. If it's there, there's the profit going to be. But if it's not there, would there still be profit of the equivalent nature? No. So counterfactuals are very effective because they are not flights of fancy. There is not boundless creativity. They are careful simulations that take place within the mental model. Now again, I am talking of the mental, I am not talking of the blackboard. It's not the bean counters, it's not the accountants who can do the job. It is thinkers and great entrepreneurs, great political leaders, great men, all are always thinking of the possibilities and the probabilities. A thing may be possible and probable. It may be possible but not probable. It may be probable but not possible. That Aristotelian concept of possible and probable is a major part of the counterfactual thinking. So you have to become a better framer. In the, you have to discipline your mind. It's a cognitive muscle that can be trained. And you have got to train that muscle. And the first step is to become aware of the mental model you use. Until you know that background, like MSF did, 
they looked at the geographical spread and ignored the past. WHO did not do that. So these are the things that have to be taken and adequate models produce actionable counterfactuals. If you have a good model in your mind, it will give you a proper perspective, a proper look into the counterfactuals and then you can evil, evaluate all that. So the third step is to enlarge your repertory of mental models. If you have only one set of mind, if you cannot think the possibilities, the options, then you cannot take a good decision. And it's done in the twinkling of seconds. People who keep on thinking, thinking, never come to a good decision. People who can assume or you can make their minds work like a supercomputer, taking care of all the models are good decision makers. So one strategy for increasing this is a form of cognitive foraging. Be like a squirrel, keep on storing facts, a pursuit of the new ways of thinking. This in particular is building connection with a diverse group of people. Go beyond your community, beyond your people. I mean, see, I as a CEO even talk to the peons of the janitors and they could give me better insight. In, uh, there, there was a problem of security in one of my factories. So I talked to the janitor and he gave me some ideas which were found to be great. So leverage the diversity of other mental models in terms of teams and organizations. And then the problem of the team is most of the teams are only one man show. Let's be very clear. So don't try to be, try to be provocative. Don't try to be passive. Now, there are five ways to make tough calls. First is stay on the message. This tenant presupposes that you have considered the possible course of action prior to making a call. And then have belief in yourself. Don't forget, life is full of conflicting signals. And if you can, Receive those signals, interpret them, and then implement the option available. Then third most important thing is don't wait. People who dawdle, who are always thinking to do or not to do, what to do, which option is available, mind you, nothing is ever certain. Remember, whichever option you take, the probability is you might fail. So you have got to come to the old concept of Aristotle, possible and probable. If it's both possible and probable, that's ideal. But in case it's possible and not probable, no. But if it's probable and not possible, then you can create the possibility. Third, fourth is, you owe it to them, the others. Is your decision going to be impactful negatively and then the worst thing is people who take decisions in tough times do not look for validation well you know i remember manmohan singh giving a talk and at the end of the talk he asked his pa was it okay he is asking for a validation no good decision makers take a decision stick to it and mind you 
buck stops with you. No, if I have to frame it, taking a tough call depends on your experience. Then your moral gyroscope, <coughs> the ethical values, the moral values, the societal values. Then is your judgment. And then is your courage, your fortitude. Experience will be the raw material. Moral gyroscope are the parameters. Judgment is the mental framework and fortitude the ability to take, say, yes, I did it, I am responsible. If you can say, I am responsible, you can be sure more than half of the job is done. And don't forget global economic turmoil has got numerous lessons. The most important one, when you take a good decision, little else matters. It's immaterial people hate you. It's immaterial People don't like you. It's immaterial that you lose in the short term. But when you refuse to take a decision, uh, show a pattern of making indecisive actions, then you're short-sighted. Then you are incompetent. Then you are dawdling. You're average. Don't fall into the trap of thinking of organizations of philosophical instead of pragmatic terms. Maybe when high-level leaders started shying away from tough calls, briefly to think of their organization in abstract, ethereal terms like, you know, these jargons are harmful, diversity, culture, we've, that is stumbling block. Be like an armed car or armed personal carrier, smash. Be like a tank. Just go on whether it's a desert or an arid land. So you have to create the climate wherever you take a decision. And the serious daunting decision requires strong framework. Now, I'm going to tell you 10 steps that define what I have seen makes you able to take tough call. These 10 steps. First, I'll give you five. And they were based on making tough calls. They are the background. And now, the steps. A. Kill your sacred cows. You have to abandon conventional mindset. Challenge your own assumptions. Kill the sacred cow. And that will help you survive and thrive in the volatile conditions. If they are normal, then you don't need a tough decision. A tough decision is required only when it's really going tough. At that time, the sacred cows have no value. This should not be done. We have been doing always like this. No. The successful decision makers live in harmony with complexity, with speed, with instability and ambiguity. You have to go beyond the competition. So the economic clarion call for the leaders is to create a re-sectorization approach. Distinguish your decision making from others both now and in future. And it means removing the sacred status from an idea and questioning 
even whether the idea still has some value quite possible they may don't think it has it is not in the culture of the country is not politically correct all those impediments sacred cows our religion doesn't permit it our traditions don't permit they are not to be bothered about when again referring to 71 war we had to fight bangladesh we didn't fight as object to signing the defense agreement with russia though it was against the concept of non alignment our culture is of non alignment now your culture is of your success period so that's the first thing till your sacred cause second define an ideal outcome and establish criteria for your decisions be clear whether you are what you are trying to accomplish focus on outcomes not inputs or methods means whatever other than unethical as i said earlier your moral gyroscope is very important but otherwise bypassing them overcoming them is important in other words ask yourself about what you are trying to achieve before deciding how you want to achieve and you will do it by setting the criteria when you set a criteria an ideal solution automatically comes in the framework the mental framework mind you your mind is always active so you might decide we don't want to increase say revenue unless we increase our margins or you want to say we want to limit growth to the existing facilities well it's for you to take up the option and this sort of clarity will keep you from starting with an input and methodology the input might be cutting cost the methodology is eliminating jobs now eliminating jobs according to the conventional would be bad thing because you are killing a sacred cow but if need is there i wouldn't mind and i always say a good manager a good decision maker is a good butcher you cannot make a decision without being a good butcher then weigh options brainstorm analyze each position but not with others with yourself i'm said this sort of a team building and these teaching positions and brainstorming they are bullshit they are wastage of time you have got you are the person with the buck stop you have to take a decision and that way i admire adam blinken when the civil war was to take place his seven cabinet secretaries home defense everybody said no we should not have a war and at the end of the meeting he said seven nays one i eyes have it so he said no we are going there i know people will be killed i know country will be devastated but it's necessary so this becomes easier when you have set clear criteria and the outcome then fourth reject easy fixes and don't do well what you shouldn't do in the first place most important is status quo this is the worst sacred cow status quo this is what we have been doing we have always done like this it has worked in this way so we'll continue working it's a comfort zone people reject all those easy fixes 
if need is, ride roughshod on all the opposition that your mind creates. Mind you, it's again you, the buck is talking with you. So, those decisions don't really qualify as tough decisions when you are compromising. That one thing I loved about William Ockham, I was reading him. He was a 14th century English friar, like a Rishis, you know, Ockham. And he came with a concept. He said, shave away what is unnecessary. So embrace Ockham's razor. This principle suggests economy, clarity, conciseness and private softening. It states that the fewer assumptions should be selected and the lesser assumptions are there, the better it is. You know, I have seen the project reports, the risk taking and the assumptions and whenever the report would come to me, whenever I see you of the consultancy, if the assumptions are more than three, I will throw the waste in the waste paper basket. Assumptions have got to be minimum. Risk factors have got to be minimized because they are the stumbling blocks. So Occam's ideas face mockery in most of the organizations. We have let ourselves become mired and irrelevant and interesting details. But we, I don't want to be interesting. I'm not a movie hero when I take a decision. I'm a strategist. And as a strategist, I'll cut off whatever is unnecessary. I might even if I was a Mughal emperor, I might say, off with his head. And they were good decision makers, don't forget it. The emperors were good decision makers. Quick, tough, they could take decisions. Because they were able to have a moral gyroscope. So, keep things simple. Then, don't waste time trying to get consensus. People who want to please everybody, please nobody. A commitment to inclusive decision-making does not mean equal obligation that all decisions should be unanimous. I told you about the story of Abraham Lincoln. People said no. And he said yes. And he had it. Usually consensus takes too long and causes loss of time and resources. So focus on clear lines of accountability and take a decision. Then, most important, uh, you might have seen that I put on the Facebook when the people give me advice, I say, unsolicited advice is garbage and goes in garbage. So, whenever unsolicited advice is, treat it with a contempt, even if it's good, don't bother. Seek input. No, there's a difference between unsolicited advice and seeking input. Input is what you think somebody is capable enough, seek his ideas. But if somebody comes by itself, like, you know, if you're following sick, in India, what happens is half a dozen people come and each starts prescribing. Don't listen to them. But go to a doctor, seek his input. Seeking advice takes a certain degree of courage. Rejecting unsolicited feedback takes even more courage. So people with strong commitment to self-improvement and those who want to take tough decisions, tough calls, they can be misguided by unsolicited advice. So reject it. Then anticipate the consequences. Don't forget, as I said earlier, every decision is going to have a consequence. So anticipate. 
what the constituency what will the people say what will the government say what will the opposition say what points can come up so you should have an ability to look into the future and keep on consistently balancing risks and reward but that doesn't mean don't get that you should catastrophe five events no but you should foresee what others can't foresee then seek success not perfection if you want to take a decision don't seek for perfection perfectionist can never take a tough decision they steadfastly pursue every inform have you enough information ways pros and cons seek more advice want to rectify all the defects no but your result should be success irrespective of some imperfection and then make a call take a decision and refuse to second guesses guilt and his companion worry are the two most useless human emotions Guilt attempts to change the past. Worry serves as a futile effort to control the future. So, forget about guilt. Forget about worry. Forget about other things. Take any decision and stick to it. We have to stop venerating the sacred cows, traditions, conventional approaches, and we respect them because they make us feel insecure. making a tough decision means don't bother about security bother about the outcome when you replace an emotional response with a new attitude your counterfactual thinking cognitive skills challenge yourself to take risk reframe live well think out of the box and success will be yours making tough decision calls involves killing some sacred cause but it also paints a credible picture of the possibilities you will have more possibilities so come on employ these ways and take a tough decision that will make you stand out and shakespeare said about such people the elements so mixed in him that major might stand up and say he is a man with capital m thank you